Solitude is this vehicle of God's love and grace for us, for it to be known and to be accepted by us. There's an old Dutch priest named Henry Nouwen who said solitude is the furnace of transformation. It burns away what is old so that what is new can come to life. And in that time of solitude, of just spending time alone with the Lord, those kind of things happen. It's also a practice of Jesus. If you look back in the scriptures, you'll find where Jesus practiced solitude. Often he would remove himself from the crowd and go and get away and spend time by himself just with the Father. I don't know about you, but there are weeks that go by where I feel like if I pack one more thing in my schedule, I'm going to explode. You know, there is just, it's just so busy. I remember moving from Owensboro, Kentucky, which is about 50,000 people to Baton Rouge and Baton Rouge is what? 500,000 people. It's quite the difference. And I remember uh, thinking in my head, oh my gosh, it is crazy busy here. There's a lot going on, going from one side of town to the other. And I'm all time oriented. I don't want to be late. And I think in my head, well, uh, I got 10 minutes to get here and no, it takes like 20 or 30, you know, it's just different in the city. And my wife and I, Aaron, we're committed to raising our kids in the city and we want them to experience those things, but it is busy and it gets us so tired and you're running a thousand miles, miles an hour and you just get to a place of exhaustion. And some, so for some of us, that's a season of life. And for some of us, it's just something we've come become accustomed to of just kind of this running and this exhaustion. And we give ourselves away to our kids and our jobs. And, and oftentimes we have little time just to spend with the Lord just to stop our day and spend time with him. And when we do finally like plop down on the couch at night and we have a second just to spend time with the Lord, uh, things like Netflix binge come up and our phones that is like an appendage of our body that we carry around with us that we get out and we look at Instagram and check out what's going on. And, and we, we're kind of escape artists from this moment that we could have with the Lord. And sometimes it's like, uh, you know, who wants to fold laundry, you know, but you know, the laundry's there. So you're like, oh, I've got to get this done. I've got these projects that I got to complete. And we get, we get to where we're escaping from just being alone with him. And for us as believers, we're in this kind of push and pull relationship with the Lord. In many ways, when we come to Christ, that we were, we are pushed toward being with him to being alone with him, to listening to him, to waiting on him and all those things that we know that that relationship needs to be there and we need to like hear from the father. But in so many ways, we feel pulled away from those moments. We feel the external pull. It could be what I just listed. You know, you work more, Netflix, phone, social media, whatever it might be that we put these things in place and we feel pulled away from that very moment we want to spend with the Lord. And then there's these internal pulls that we have and these internal pulling away from those moments and it's fear of what God might uncover in that time that we just spend with him or maybe how he'll respond when, when maybe a sin issue or sin pattern is uncovered or maybe there's some hurts that we have we didn't know that were there. How might God respond in fear of feeling emotional pain or really setting in the uncertainty of the future? It's very hard for us to set in the uncertainty of future. And then with all of those things going on, life throws us these curveballs, right? They're, they're like, uh, they could be death. They could be a, a new location that you move to. They could be loss of a job, uh, mental illness or mental limitations. They could be anything that, that these curveballs get thrown our way. And in those moments, we need time with the Lord getting along with him that much more. We need to stop 
and say, Lord, please speak into my life. I need to hear from you. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here this morning saying I'm, I'm a professional at getting alone with the Lord because I'm not. If you know anything about me, it's very hard for me to sit still. In fact, about like six months ago, like, I mean, if you ever with me in the office, you'll know I'm just up. I'm not, I'm not sitting in my chair very long. And Josh looked at me. He's like, you don't, you don't sit still much, do you? You know, and I'm just up and going. It's very hard for me to make that space, but I know how important it is for us to do that. Um, when I, when I started seminary at New Orleans, the very first seminary class I took was a class on prayer and fasting. Now, I know what you're thinking, like you knew you were going to make an A, and I did, because how do you pray and fast wrong, you know? And so I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted, it was just an interesting class. And I remember Dr. Millwood was like, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to, to go and have an hour where you're just alone by yourself with nothing around you and just spend time uh, with the Lord, find a park, find something. And I remember going out to like Highland Road Park and sitting on this bench and I like had my books out and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, all right. And so I went, I was like, I totally failed at it. You know, I was like, I waited 2.5 minutes and nothing happened. So I was like, I'm peacing out, you know? And so I remember when I went back to class, I was telling Dr. Millwood, you know, it's really, really, uh, really a struggle. He said, well, tell me what you did. And I was like, well, I got this, I got my, my pencil and paper out, my Bible, my book that you gave me and all that. And he was like, you're trying to do it right. And in solitude and being alone with the Lord, it's not about a doing. It's about you just being with him. Of just sitting there as, your, as his son and just spending time with the Lord. In 1 Kings 19, there's a lot that we can learn from Elijah and from the Lord on what this means. Like why is solitude important? Elijah, we're going we're gonna to talk about two main things this morning. First, Elijah and his response to his circumstances, his setback, and really just being in a place of exhaustion. And secondly, we're going to look at how God responds to Elijah, because these are really, really important things in solitude, how we respond to the Lord, and then in turn, how we expect the Lord to God to respond to us. Before I jump into this, I want to kind of give you a context to this scripture because I think it's really important before we jump into the idea of solitude. Elijah was a Hebrew prophet from the ninth century BC, and he lived in a time where Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And King Ahab had become king of Israel, and he was married to a woman named Jezebel. Now, King Ahab was known as one of the worst kings that would ever reign uh, over Israel because Jezebel kind of ran the show. She wanted to push all of the people in that area to worship this prophet named Baal. And it was an idle prophet. And uh, Jezebel had been known uh, that that's what she wanted to do. She even been known to uh, kill prophets of Yahweh or prophets of the Lord. And they're in the middle of this three-year drought. And in 1 Kings 18, you'll see Elijah shows up. And he kind of challenges the prophets of Baal to this big duel on the to- top of Mount Carmel. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. And there's one prophet of God, and that's Elijah. And so Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, go and get your, your ox, go and put the, put whatever ox, whatever bull you want to put on the altar and, uh, and you pray to Baal and we'll see what happens. And so they pray, uh, they begin to pray to Baal, they cut themselves and Elijah kind of makes fun of them in the process, which is a pretty cool story and pretty funny. Uh, and then, and then, uh, Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. But before I pray, I want you to pour water all over this altar. 
And so they pour gallons and gallons of water in the middle of a drought, I might add. And Elijah begins to pray. And as he prays, uh, fire comes down from heaven and burns up the bull, the altar, and even wicks up the water around uh, the altar. And the crowd goes wild, right? I mean, it is like an amazing picture of God's love, kindness, and power. He shows up and Elijah is in the middle of all of that. And so uh, know that he is on this kind of mountaintop experience. You know, I don't know if you ever felt that way where you've like met with the Lord. He's shown this powerful moment to you. And then what happens next is where we're going to hang out. And we're going to try to learn some things from both Elijah and from the Lord about what what he says and how Elijah responds. So uh, if you have your scriptures, it'll be on the screen. Um, I'm going to read uh, all 18 verses. So hang tight. And I'll try to get the words right. Um, Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So she's, she's wanting to kill Elijah. And then Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was there, at his head was a cake of bread, a cake of bread, which is awesome, on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and he ate and drank and went in in the strength of the food for 40 days and 40 nights to, to Horeb or the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been, I've been very jealous for the Lord and, and the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, I am only left to seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go and return your way of wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, son of Nimsi, you shall anoint the king over Israel and Elijah, son of Saphat of Abel-Meholah, and you shall anoint to be prophet in your place." And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how it uh, convicts our hearts. It moves us to look more like you. And Lord, in this story, you have something to say to each one of us. And so I pray today that you would open and enlighten our hearts and our minds, and we would have receptive hearts to the things you want us to hear and say. And so I, I thank you, Lord, use me as a vessel, how you see fit, Lord, by your will. Uh, and I'm just grateful uh, to be able to stand up here and do it. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So this is quite the response from Elijah. He, he has this mountaintop experience, and then what happens? Jezebel shows up, and, and he says, hey, uh, she says, hey, I want to kill you. I'm coming after you. And he's like, peace out. I'm going to hide in the cave. And so he takes off and, and there's some things that I want you to see about how Elijah responds to this whole circumstance that I think are really important for us. If you look at verse three, let's look at verse three. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So from, from this scripture, we can see the first thing that Elijah did is he got alone. He got to a place of being by himself. Now, certainly you could say that, you know, he was, he was kind of in a dep- depressed, fearful state. And I know pers- from personal experience when I have those depressed states, it, it, getting isolated is not a good thing. But if you read the scripture and we'll find out more and more uh, as he's headed to a certain direction, he's headed to a place where he knows the Lord is going to show up. And if we look at this in light of being alone with the Lord, he goes and gets alone. He removes the different voices from his head. A servant would have been known to uh, care for uh, Elijah in every way. He would have tended to his every need. He would have got the water that he needed. He would have got the bread that he needed. He would have got everything that he needed. Even he would have told him, hey, you need to lay down and you need to rest and not worry. But he removed himself from all those voices so that he could be alone with with the Lord and listen for his voice. He cleared any extra voices from his mind. And I know for us personally, uh, sometimes when we're in this moment of fear or anxiety or worry, a lot of times uh, we can run to, to trusted friends, which is good, or we can listen to podcasts. Sometimes podcasts are good. Books, all these different types of things. We can fill our head with voices instead of just making space for the Lord to do his work. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, go and listen to those things or spend time reading books, but the Lord's voice is the most important voice in your life. And so he went alone into the wilderness uh, in his fear, in his worry, in his doubt. He got alone. So one of the first things we can do uh, when we're thinking about solitude is literally just getting alone with the Lord and making space for him to speak to us. And then uh, verse five and six, let's look at this one. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, the ain't, which sounds really like a broom tree. That's got to be just a lousy Charlie Brown looking tree. That's the way I think about it in my head. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, the angel told him and said, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was, uh, at his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, drank and lay down again. So after he prays this big prayer of, hey, I'm just totally done with life. I'm really tired. It's a prayer of depression. Uh, I want you to take my life. I'm just tired of being, uh, being alive. What's the first thing he does? He goes to sleep. Now, I think that's something in this room uh, for us who run a lot should really grab hold of. And I don't have to convince you like a Sunday afternoon nap 
Uh, those are amazing and gifts from God. Um, and like when you go to sleep in the first quarter and you're winning and in the, the fourth quarter you wake up and you're like, oh, we're still winning. Everything's fine, you know. Uh, and so sometimes for us to even begin to commune with God, we need to go to sleep. That we're so physically tired that when we get in that space, like we get alone with the Lord, we, we like stop and we begin to listen to him. We, we immediately fall asleep because we're so tired. And I, I've heard this when I was in college, I used to use this phrase, uh, I'll sleep when I die. And now if I don't sleep, I'm going to die. You know, it's like opposite now at this point. Um, because sleep, I, I know how the value of rest it is for us. And Elijah in his like running and his taking off, it's so important for our souls physically to be rested. Or I've heard this later in life. Uh, people say, man, I'm so glad I got the flu. I'm so, so glad I got sick because I actually got to slow down. I got to stay home. I got to get my journal out and pray, read or watch Netflix, whatever it is that you do. But I'm just glad I got sick because I could slow down. And that's a weird thing that we, we live in a place where getting sick is like we're happy about that so we can actually slow down. Sleeping, it, it, it's not a mistake that they put in here that Elijah went to sleep. And not only that, but like Elijah w- woke up and there's bread and water right next to him. And the angel, what's he do? He puts him right back to sleep. So in God's kindness, he says, no, you're not rested enough to go on this journey. You need to sleep more. We'll talk about more of that in a minute. It's very similar to the Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. That the Lord's rest for us, the Sabbath rest that he provided for us and in creation story, even God rested. That pattern and that rhythm that he shows us, how important it is for us to live in. And we, when we don't sleep and we're not rested, we are even more exposed to the lies of the enemy. They, they become more true to us and we can hear them more clearly. And when we're tired and exhausted, we're easily frustrated and quick-tempered. And my family will probably tell you I'm the worst, you know, like if I don't sleep. Rest and sleep for you is good when it comes to getting alone with the Lord. And it may be that when you uh, leave here today, you need to go home and take a nap, even to make space to be, be alone with the Lord and for it to be a productive time. So not only did Elijah get alone, but he also, Elijah just, he goes to sleep. And then let's look at verses eight and nine. It says this, and he arose and he ate and drank and he went, went in the strength of the food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. And uh, other translations are also Mount Sinai, which is the Mount of God. A lot of really cool things happen there. And then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so what does Elijah do? He kind of takes off in the wilderness. He's alone. He's by himself. He's rested. But he kind of, he, he takes off and he is really in this waiting pattern on the Lord. Uh, if you do the math, it's like from Beersheba down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's about 200 miles. In a 40-day stretch of walking, he's walking basically 0.5 miles an hour. Now, I'm not a, a mathematician or a runner, but that seems uh, pretty slow. He's, he's going in kind of a depressed state. He's going for 40 days and 40 nights uh, like Moses did before. You can read about that. And then later, Jesus would experience this same thing of fasting and praying and really contemplating in silence and being alone. Elijah was journeying to a place that God had been known to show up. Mount Sinai was a place that he would have known uh, that, that God was, was there to show up to speak to his people. And so he was headed in that direction so that he could go and be with God. Elijah wasn't on a journey to hide from God. Elijah was on a journey to commune with him 
and just simply to slow down his life and to listen for him in his depression, in his uh, unrest, and just looking for his voice. And so the important point here is he's, he's waiting. He's really like this 40 days that we know the first time that God broke his silence was after this 40 day waiting period. And I wonder how many times that he was like walking down the path of 40 days and he wanted to turn around, that the waiting got to be too much for him, but he faithfully moved forward. And I want you to hear that even in Elijah's waiting, he faithfully moved forward. He still believed his promises, the Lord's promises were true. He didn't give in or give up. And in the, even in the wilderness, the Lord didn't speak, but he moved forward. And when we get alone with God, uh, a lot of times we're simply waiting. We're simply waiting for him to speak to us. And how often in those moments do we get alone? We finally get to that space and we, we just give up because we're like, Lord, I, I've asked you this so many times, but I haven't heard from you. But even while you wait, his promises are still true for you. And he is still faithful. And Elijah, Elijah shows this with his life and his journey in the wilderness. That his waiting is not in vain. That God is still doing something. Listen to some of these verses about waiting. Psalm thirty-three twenty through 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, upon us even as we wait for you. Isaiah forty thirty one. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not be faint. Psalm 135, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. And in our waiting, whether or not God answers our prayers in Elijah's waiting, I got to think he prayed, I hope Jezebel dies before I get out of this wilderness deal because I don't want to die. I got to think he prayed that. But while we wait, we believe in his promises. God is God and he knows best. He knows what's best for us in our waiting, even when we don't understand it. He knows what's best and he knew exactly what was best for Elijah. So if you're in a season of waiting right now, like you have gotten to that space where you're asking the Lord, Lord, what, what is going on here? I need you to speak. Know that his promises are still true. They have not left and he will fulfill his promise in your life. And so not only does Elijah wait on the Lord, he gets alone, he sleeps and rests, but also verse 10, let's look at how Elijah responds. So the Lord asked him this question, you know, like, what are you doing here? Which seems like a really funny, I've been traveling for 40 days, Lord. Like, what do you mean? What am I doing here? I'm trying to get with you, you know, and hang out. Um, But he says, I've been very jealous. And also that's translated in Hebrew. I've been very faithful. I've been very zealous would be another word for the Lord. God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I am the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. So what's the next thing that Elijah does in his solitude is that Elijah gets honest with God. He really gets honest with him about what's going on. He reveals uh, the good and the bad and the ugly of what's going on. The good is, is that he reminds God, hey, I've been walking for 40 days and there's nothing that can stop me from faithfully following you. 
There's nothing that can stop me. I am here and I will wait as long as it takes for you to speak to me. But let me tell you something. Israel, they had, they're, they're going the wrong direction. They've broken some covenants and they've to- torn down the altars. They've done all these things and I'm just frustrated. And then the ugly of it, he really tells him the ugly, I am the only one left. It's like a line of, I want to give up. I really want, I'm, I'm faithful in all these things, but Lord, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by all these circumstances on the outside and it's affecting me on the inside. It's doing something. And so Elijah, he, he takes time. This is kind of a critical moment with God. He got alone, he waited. And when God spoke to him, he answered honestly. And he, he explains how the past, how what had happened in the past is affecting him. And he's willing to trust God enough to let the emotions come out to let the honesty come out and know that God's going to be faithful with those things. I don't have to convince you or uh, stand up here and jump around to tell you that our past shapes us into who we are. Now, for some of us, like there are some really good things that have shaped us in just a positive way. There are people who have poured into our life and taught us who Jesus is and just worked on our hearts and made us look like Jesus, help us to look like Jesus and understand his scripture. But then there's some things in our past that need to be totally reframed by the truth of God. That these, these past traumas or these past wounds or past uh, lies that we believe about ourselves or about God, we need to take them before the Lord and be honest with him in that solitude of being alone and say, Lord, I need you to help bring truth to these lies that I'm believing about myself or even believing about God. And so in our solitude, in Elijah's solitude, he gets alone with him and he's honest with him about his past and about it, how it is affecting him. And about how it's making him believe that he's all by himself. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, I was in third grade. And I was, I was a, like a crazy kid. I, I spent a lot of time doing the class clown stuff. And so my teachers, did, if you're a teacher here, you probably wouldn't have liked me. Um, and, uh, and so I remember in third grade, I was in a spelling bee. And... Um, the teacher asked me to spell a, a, a word and I spelled it and I spelled it way wrong because I, was, I found out I was dyslexic and it was a whole big thing uh, and I didn't know it at the time. And so, uh, and, and so like I spelled the word, I spelled it wrong and under her breath, the teacher said, man, you're so dumb. And I, I immediately, like as a kid, third grade, I, I heard that and I, something, I, I grabbed hold of it and I began to really believe I wasn't very smart. I started living that way. Like that lie became really, really present in my life. And, and so all through elementary school, middle school and high school, I struggled academically. And then I realized like, you got to make grades to go to college. Like I can't make straight F's. And so I started making, uh, I started living like, I'll show you attitude. Oh, I'll show you, uh, Miss Peevler. Like I'll show you that I'm not dumb. You know, so I started living, which is a very dangerous place to live. Like, I guess it's okay if you're trying to make A's, but not when you're in the party scene or doing things you shouldn't be doing. The I'll show you attitude will get you in a lot of trouble. And so I started living that, that way. I started like, uh, kind of believing that lie that I wasn't very smart. And I remember I, I got married. I have a really godly, li- uh, godly wife. And I, I would use the phrase like, oh, I'm not very smart, whatever. Just kind of go. And she was like, why do you say that about yourself? I was like, I don't know, just because I do. And she's like, no, I think you need to pray about that. And I was like, pray about it? I'm 20, you know, I'm, I, whatever. So I began to pray about it. And the Lord started pointing out these truths that 
I'm actually, I'm, God didn't, didn't make me dumb or stupid. Like he loves me just for who I am. But it was in that solitude of stopping and asking the Lord and getting honest with him that he started to speak those truths and I could grab hold of them. And he began to teach me at a young age that being alone with the Lord is so important. It's something that we need so much. And so Elijah, he responds to his circumstance, getting alone, resting, waiting, and being honest. And it it pointed toward this rhythm of helping Elijah and also for us, as we learn from it, of hearing God's voice in the silence. And then God responds to Elijah, verse 11 and 13, verse 11 through 13. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind, the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God responds to Elijah in verse 11, 12 and 13. We can see that God cares for what's going on in Elijah's life. He cares for him. And we saw that earlier when, when uh, uh, Elijah goes to sleep and he wakes him back up and he feeds him, he gives him water and then he puts him back to sleep. Like he knows exactly what Elijah needs to be able to hear from him. And so the Lord cares for Elijah and he cares for him in, a, in an interesting way because Elijah had just seen on Mount Carmel, like this huge, magnificent, the power of, of the Lord coming down from the heavens. And he, he wasn't in any of those things in this moment. But he was in a gentle, small, still voice. I think of it like a parent to a child. If you're a parent in here, you know, if your child's like at a 10, like yelling and going crazy, running around the house, like yelling at them only makes it go to like a 15. You know, yelling never, never did anything to help them like calm down. But I got to think Elijah was at a 10 and this whisper, he wraps his face and he comes out of the cave. And might, I might add that this idea, Moses did the same thing, but this wrapping of the face is really important because it, it, it showed that Elijah knew that the Lord was present. And that uh, he was at a place of humility and submission and giving up control to God for that moment. So that's solitude. And that's for us. Solitude is that release and say, Lord, I'm going to humbly control. I'm going to humbly come to you and not try to control the moment. And so uh, he knew that God was present and God says, I am here. I am present and I care. Jesus said it similarly, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It says in the scriptures, cast all your anxious thoughts on him because he cares for you. And God cared for Elijah and he knew how to speak personally to him, right? He knew that this whisper would get his attention and Elijah knew his voice and responded to him. So God, first thing we can learn is that God cares for your situation. He cares about you getting alone with him. 13, verse 13 through 15. We're still rolling. We're getting close. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. What are you doing, Elijah? And he said, I've been, repeats the same thing. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I am the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on the way uh, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king. King over Syria. 
So God asks the same question and receives the same answer, which is very interesting. But the way that Elijah answers it now was different. Before, his face was not wrapped. Before, he wasn't at a place of humility and giving up control. But now, he was in a place of saying, Lord, I, I hear you. you ever, if, if you have kids like, and they come to you and they're like upset and they, they say all these things real quick, you've asked them a question like, what happened? And they say you all, all these things and they're really upset and you give them a second to calm down and then you ask them the very same question. And they might resp- respond the very same way, but they're kind of, they're calmed down and they're ready to listen. It's a similar, similar idea here that, that uh, the Lord is speaking and asking this question and, and Elijah is, is coming from a place of humility. We know this because he has wrapped his head and because he uh, is in a place of knowing the Lord was present. And because Elijah had met with God, he has changed. And so the, the, second, the second thing we can hear, let me give you this point, that God doesn't change Elijah's circumstance, but he's working on his heart. He doesn't change his circumstance, but he's working on his heart. And if you look to the scripture, nowhere in this whole section of scripture does God say, yeah, I'm taking care of Jezebel. You can chill out so we can. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't even mention it. He's just he's just concerned with Elijah in heart in his heart and what's going on. And so when we get alone with God and pour out our lives, it's often true that he doesn't change our circumstance, but he is working on us inwardly. And that's really hard for us sometimes because I know for me, I've, I've had friends that have deeply struggled with, with uh, addiction or, or they have had cancer or any of those types of things. And a lot of times in those solitude moments, I'm praying about those circumstances and I, I want them all to change. But so often he doesn't do that. It's, it's just not the way it works, but he is working on how we see it. And as he changes our hearts and shapes our hearts, we begin to see those circumstances just as he does. And we're not afraid. We're not afraid anymore. He, he says this statement in the, in the ESV. He, uh, let me find it real quick. He basically says like, go back the way you go back the road of Damascus. And in other translations, he's saying, go back the way you came. And a lot of commentaries, I, I kind of got hung up on this section of scripture because I was like, that's really kind of a weird thing to say, like sending back the way he came. And there's some commentaries that say some like smart people that said like they were sending, he was sending him back that way because it would have been safe for him. Like he wouldn't have been attacked because he went back the very same path and he wouldn't know where to hide and to be clear. But if we're talking about it in terms of solitude, I got to believe that the Lord sent him back to walk this path of remembering where he was and how far he had come. He come, I got to think that he walked down the path and he saw the cave where he hid and remember where the Lord spoke to him and that he walked on further down still and he saw the lone broom bush where he sat under and he actually literally wanted to, wanted his life to end. And the Lord was able to physically show him to walk back that path to see where he was different. Has that been true of you? Like the Lord has changed your life and he sends you back to the very same people, the same jobs, the same places, only to see it different. Only to see it uh, so, so much, so much different because of what he's done in your heart. By sending him back the way he came, God helped Elijah see that he was different. And he was transformed by meeting with God. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. 
that when we meet with the Lord, that he changes our lives. Verse 15 through 18, last one. Let me read this. Read 15, let me find it real quick. There we go. And the Lord said to him, go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. I'm not going to read all those words again because I'll probably mess them up. But here's the thing. The Lord, God, God sent him on a mission, right? He sent him on a mission to anoint kings and another prophet to take the mantle, Elisha, right? You can read about him. It's pretty cool. If you do the research, I'm not going to get into all that, but he, he gave Elijah a mission in the midst of his hurt, worry, in, in meeting in solitude with the Lord, like the Lord gives him like this direction in life. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. If you don't hear anything else, I say that God didn't disqualify Elijah because of his emotional pain or because of his baggage or any of those things. He actually sent him out that he didn't disqualify him. Elijah is at his weakest point mentally, physically, and spiritually. And by his own words, he has very little offer. And we can learn a lot from God's response right here. He didn't say, yeah, Elijah, you know, you're all washed up. You got nothing to offer. Your tank is empty, so I can't use you anymore. No, he takes Elijah. He speaks to him in his solitude. He shows him a path and he sends him back out so that the work of the Lord can be done. And then in his kindness, in his solitude, check this out. This is great. I love that he put it in here. At the end of this section, uh, he said, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth had not kissed him. Remember the lie that Elijah believed that he was alone? God answers that lie with the truth. What's he say? I have 7,000 others who have not bowed. You're not the only one. In his kindness, he brings a truth. And he sends him out. I want you to know it's easy for us to believe because of all of our baggage, our past wounds, our situations, whatever that might be, for the enemy to, to, to capture us and say that uh, we're disqualified from using our gifts or our going and working in ministry or doing the Lord's work, however you want to say it. But that could not be further from the truth. And it's proven right here in the scripture where Elijah is just, he just saw one of the greatest, most miraculous things you could ever see with God sending fire from down from the heaven. And then he gets to this lowest point of his life and God still binds him up and sends him out on a mission because of your baggage and your wounds and those things. You are not disqualified to be used by God. You are not disqualified. So Elijah, he finds himself humbled and healed and recommissioned. And it's true that Elijah, he ran from Jezebel, but he ran to the place where the Lord might show up. There's so much for us to learn from Elijah's response, getting alone, resting, sleeping, waiting, exposing your heart, getting honest with the Lord. And then how God responds to us, to him, God cares for him. He's concerned about our heart's desires. He works through our weakness and he's not a God that disqualifies In the moments of solitude, we begin to hear God's voice clear. His truth becomes clear to us. And maybe for you in this room, maybe you're here and you escape those moments because you're just busy. Because you haven't made space for it. And so I want to ask you, like, what in your life right now can you think in your head, hey, I can give these things up so that I can make space and solitude for the Lord? What is something that you can let go of right now? 
just to make that 5, 10, 15, an hour of time so that he can speak to you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're afraid to step into that solitude because you're not sure what God might say or what he might uncover. And I hope you've learned this morning from this story that God loves you deeply as a son and a daughter. And he's not there to condemn you, but he's there to heal you. And if you're fearful, he brings you to a place of safety in those moments, reminding you of those promises and those truths that are found all along in the scripture. And so I know for me personally, in those moments of solitude or the places, certainly in worship services, like uh, in those like earthquake, wind, fire moments, I have experienced the Holy Spirit changing my life and my heart. But in those moments of solitude and getting alone with the Lord are the times where the Lord has spoke to me and only how he can speak to me in a personal way in that still small voice. And I wish for each of you to be able to experience that. Because it's a thing that releases so much weight. And he's like, no, it's on me. I've got it. I'm in control. So this morning, I, I, uh, I'm going to pull a, a Josh Causey a little bit. I don't know where this lands for you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know in what way the Lord is speaking to your heart. In a way he's shaping and moving you. But I, I can tell you this. Whatever he is asking you to do, you can trust him. You can trust him because he is good. He is perfect and he loves you deeply, no matter your baggage, no matter what you're struggling with. So I just challenge you this morning to look for ways to make that space uh, to be alone with him so the father can tend to your soul and that you can be honest with him. So here at, uh, uh, here at our church, we have some rhythms uh, that we do every week. Uh, at my far left and right, you have giving stations. And so as an act of worship, we're going to sing a little bit and you can, you can give. And then uh, we'll have a communion here uh, at my left and right. And if you want to come and, and to, to know that like the Lord, he has died and raised for you and to be able to experience that, you can come and take and eat and remember. And then also uh, we have this altar, this step. If you're here and you're like, I just want to rest uh, in front of the Lord, you can come and pray and let the Lord minister to you there. And then there'll be ministers and elders on the front, front row here that we're glad to pray with you uh, if you'd like to pray. And if you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus, uh, then we'd love to talk to you about that too. And know that this is for you too. The table is for you and, and the, Lord, uh, the Lord wants to meet with you. And so uh, whosoever will for whatever reason, uh, you, you come. I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and then you move how God has called you to move. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you so much and I'm so grateful of your kindness and your compassion to us, Lord. I'm grateful for this story as a reminder that getting alone with you is so important. In those spaces, we get to hear your heart for your people. We get to hear your heart for us. And in the same way, we get to stop and share all the moments throughout the day, the week, the month, or even the years before that have affected us in a way that only you can bring truth to. And so I ask this morning, as, as we sing a little bit, Lord, we, uh, we clear our minds and our schedules. And Lord, I just begin to, to rest in you. And to know that uh, you have not disqualified us, Lord, but you commission us again and again, Lord, and say, uh, just teach us, teach us your voice. So this morning, I, I thank you for these people and I thank you for their hearts. 
and their love. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless our time. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You guys can stand as we worship.